bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's Potter's Field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts, as we unravel a secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here is our host, investigative history writer Michael T. Keene. Thank you very much, Norma Jean, and this is Michael Keene, and we are Talking Heart Island. Today's episode is brought to us by Simply New York Marketplace and Gifts, located in the Seabreeze section of Rochester, New York, supporting New York's small businesses for over 10 years. Put your money where your house is. Support local. Shop Simply and the Wayne Historians Organization, which has created an online database of historic sites. And it can be found at waynehistorians.org. And one more uh, quick thing before we begin, we've been asked how can you listen to previous episodes of the Talking Heart Island podcast? And you may do so by simply logging on to our website, michaeltkeen.com. American film actress Sheila Terry was a true Hollywood starlet of the 1930s, appearing in, among other films, three with John Wayne before she ended her life with an overdose of sleeping pills in 1947. Described as one of Hollywood's first glamour stars, her stunning good looks would eventually fade, as did her film roles. Although married three times and divorced, she was without family and friends to intervene. She died alone and penniless. So alone, she was buried on Heart Island. And I am extremely pleased to present our guest today, Larry Powell. He is a professor of sport communications at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. His research interests include political communications, film, and popular culture. His book, Becoming John Wayne, The Early Westerns of a Stream Icon, 1930-1939, will be the focus of our discussion, as well as the three films that Sheila Perry appeared in with Wayne. And good morning, Professor Powell. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you for having me. Well, good. Um, you know, the first thought that I had 
in preparing for our interview is what, if any, is the connection between political communications, film, and popular culture? Do they all merge somehow, or are they as separate as they appear to be? No, they, they all merge. Um, uh, political communication, there are a lot of movies about politics, and there's a, usually a political undercurrent to even those that aren't uh, obviously about politics. And politics and sports, particularly in terms of popular culture, they're both competitive contests. Uh, and, you know, politics is just football on a really big field, and you don't know the score until the game is over. Right. And especially, I suppose, from being a professor in the state of Alabama, football is really where it's at, right? Well, football is the main sport in Alabama. My sure. personal favorite is baseball, but uh, you got to be a heavy follower of football down here. Oh, you have to be, I would think. Um, so I would think when you began to become interested in John Wayne's career, why did you choose the period between 1930 and 1939? Well, I used to be a full-time political consultant. Uh, and in the off-season, when we're not doing politics, uh, I would do a lot of popular culture stuff. And I started doing online reviews of John Wayne movies uh, during some of those times. And uh, when I decided to do a book, I wanted to focus on the 1930s because that was the period of Wayne's career that uh, was overlooked by biographers that sometimes they would have a short chapter on it. Most of the time, the 1930s were covered in about three pages. And so there was not a lot of information available to readers about what was going on you know, during that time. And uh, fortunately, uh, most of those early n movies by Wayne fell into the popular domain. They were so bad that nobody bothered to keep the copyright on them. And so they were easy to obtain copies of them to watch. And so why do you think that that particular period wasn't given a lot of attention? Is it because the two films, as you mentioned, uh, were badly written in relationship to the rest of his films? A lot of them were very bad, uh, and that was one reason. Uh, they, the production qualities, they were done not only with B-movies, but they were Poverty Row B-movies, and so the quality of film work you know, wasn't nearly uh, as good. Um, and one, one, in fact, uh, we don't even have copies of today uh, because it, the, the copies just disintegrated and uh, an original has not been found. Uh, so they were, they were pretty bad. Uh, they were interesting though, because you could see uh, how Wayne developed from a really bad actor into one who became an icon. Okay. Right. I, I mean, we're shortly going to talk about the films that he was in with Sheila Terry in a moment. But as someone who has examined his career, when was he really at his peak? Was there a certain period of time uh, where Wayne really came into his own? Uh, the 1950s, uh, the, uh, that, that would be my choice 
Uh, a lot of film historians prefer the 1940s, uh, and they point to uh, a lot of the movies that he did in that period that were classics uh, and are considered among his best work. Uh, but from a popular culture viewpoint, I think he had nailed down what the public wanted in the 1950s, mid-1950s, and, uh, and he, he really put out some movies that were extremely popular uh, during that time. Can you name a few? No, Rio Bravo is, mm -hmm. is my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a um, Howard Hawks film uh, in which he, uh, his answer to uh, uh, High Noon, he didn't like High Noon. He thought it was un-American. And so they made Rio Bravo as his answer to what it should have been. Uh, and it uh, was extremely popular. Uh, you also have Hondo, uh, which was a Louis L'Amour novel, Louis L'Amour's first novel uh, converted into a film, which was also very exciting. Now, generally not considered one of his best, but it was one of Wayne's favorites. And then you have the follow-ups on Rio Bravo. They've remade Rio Bravo twice, once under the title El Dorado and once under the title Rio Lobo, with essentially the same plot. Right. You know, I, the, the audiences ate them up. It's my understanding that John Wayne was once asked what was the secret of his acting style. And he gave a very, uh, I thought, fascinating response. He said, speak slowly and don't say much. Is that kind of a, a way to, I mean, his, uh, the, the uh, uh, especially in the Westerns, uh, the, his acting style was, uh, he was more of a presence, right? Physical presence. It, it was more of a presence. He owed that uh, primarily to a, uh, uh, supporting actor that he met during the 1930s by the name of Paul Fix. Mm -hmm. uh, Fix appears in a number of his movies, uh, and Fix taught him to be a presence. Uh, and uh, uh, Fix is probably best known as on TV. He was the marshal in the uh, Rifleman series, uh, the town marshal there. Right, right. Uh, but uh, he... Uh, he taught John Wayne how to act. And his ultimate thing, in addition to what you just said, was that acting was not about acting. It was about reacting mm -hmm. um, and learning how to respond to others. My wife is a big John Wayne fan, not so much for his Westerns. But in fact, I believe one of her uh, favorite movies of all time is the John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man, with Maureen O'Hara. Have you seen this movie? I have seen that. It is a very good movie. It's not my favorite simply because it's not a Western. Right. Uh, I, I do prefer Western um, movies to anything else. And given an equal opportunity, we'll often watch the Western version of something rather than the non-Western. Well... Why is that? Um, why do you prefer westerns? Well, I think as a kid, I drew up with uh, grew up with uh, cowboy heroes on TV, uh, and I probably got them toward the end of their era, 
they disappeared from TV with only minor exceptions, you know, from in the uh, late 1960s, um, early 1970s, and I've missed them ever since. Right, right. So in bringing Sheila Terry into the conversation, uh, you and I communicated a few weeks back briefly, and we were talking about the three movies that she was in with Wayne, which, again, were in this early part of his career. And you made an interesting observation. Uh, you said that when you compared Sheila Terry's expertise in acting at that point, compared with John Wayne, she was much superior. Her skills were much greater than Wayne's. Yeah, she was the much better actor uh, at that point in time. Um, she had acting skills that he simply had not developed and didn't know anything about. Uh, she was good. Uh, he was below average at best. What can you tell me uh, about the film? In fact, at the end of our interview, we're going to play a short audio clip from Neith the Arizona Skies. Uh, now, I have to tell you, uh, Professor Powell, I've seen this movie three times, and I still can't tell you what the plot is about. <laughs> it's, it's one of the most, I don't know, convoluted uh, plots that he had something to do with becoming uh, the custodian of a Native American girl who inherited a fortune uh, from her mother. And then there was this guy by the name of Sam Black who was trying to steal the money. And... Uh, uh, you know the film. I know you know the film I'm talking about. Can you um, can you talk about that a little bit more? I know the film you're talking about. It is remarkably bad. Uh, and <laughs> Let's they talk about bad. Plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. it uh, they used that plot actually twice. I forget the title of the other one um, uh, during the 1930s, but uh, uh, he. Um, he came to defense of not only a child, but a Native American child. Right. Uh, and that emphasized his good good guy side of his uh, image they were trying to create. Uh, he still wasn't very good. Sheila Terry's role in it is relatively minor, even though mm -hmm. she's the co-star. Right. Uh, it is truly a supporting role where... She's there to keep the plot going and to have a female interest. Um, and it's hard to follow that plot because they try to wrap it up in the end so everything works out, and I'm not sure they really succeeded. Okay, let's go back to the movie Neath the Arizona Sky. Um, there was one part in that movie, I, I still laugh at this, where John Wayne gets beat up. Uh, by one of uh, Sam Black's henchmen, and is left unconscious, lying next to this river. Uh, in fact, he's so unconscious that the uh, the henchman figures that he would change his appearance by switching clothes with Wayne. So again, Wayne, this big guy, laying by the river, has his clothes taken off, and the henchman's clothes get put on John Wayne, who believes that that's the way he's going to be able to go underneath the radar screen. Well, a few minutes later, Sheila Terry shows up and she sees Wayne lying there. She takes a little bit of water from the, from the stream or from the river, dabs him on the cheeks, and wouldn't you know it, that he comes instantly alert 
And they begin to have this conversation, which is what we're going to have on the audio clip. You know, when you see a photograph of Sheila Terry, maybe you'll know why he suddenly came to life. Uh, in fact, the publisher was so fascinated with her uh, that her photograph is not only in the book, but it's on the back cover of the book. And, uh, you know, which kind of leads me into this question for you. Sheila Terry was absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and the research you've done in films, uh, especially the issue that affected her, uh, of female stars where their looks begin to fade, they found it very difficult to survive in Hollywood. Uh, w- would you say that's true? It's true? Oh, oh, very much so. There are only a few that were able to live, have careers that, were, uh, that would go past a decade or more. And she was talented enough that if she had gotten enough notice in the B-movies, she could have been an A-list talent. Uh, but uh, she didn't get the notice fast enough. And by the time it did come, her beauty was starting to uh, go a little bit. And there are so many beautiful women in Hollywood that they simply replaced her. Right. Uh, you became uh, interchangeable to write an extent about what the other two movies that she appeared in with Wayne. Uh, would you say they were equally uh, as bad? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a bad movie. Sometimes some of the best movies are just bad. Uh, But did they improve at all as time went on? And, you know, of course, as Wayne went on, his skills uh, increased uh, uh, tremendously. Yeah, they were churning these things out at the rate of one a month. And the filming sometimes was was 10 days at best. And the rest was putting it together. Um, And uh, so... These things were were really poorly written in most cases. The exception uh, is uh, Haunted Gold, uh, which was the first one in which she uh, co-starred with Wayne. It was in 1932. uh, And it is essentially a horror movie uh, mixed in with a Western. And they borrowed the plot from a, a couple of old horror movies uh, and um, it's it's really a pretty decent movie, considering that it was a B Weston of the day. Um, and she is the better actor also in that one. Uh, she does a remarkably good job. Wayne is probably uh, as uh, as bad as you will see him. Um, he plays second fiddle to the horse he's riding, who is called Duke. And Duke is the real hero. Uh, of the movie and he saves John Wayne the horse the horse is really the hero and he saves John Wayne and Sheila Terry uh, at the end Um, and uh, she really got third building behind him in some instances can you tell us briefly what the plot was the plot is um, about uh, people who receive a mysterious message telling them to show up at a uh, old deserted mansion on such a day at such and such time. Uh, John Wayne is one of the people who gets the, uh, the message. Sheila Terry is one of the others. And there uh, is another one or two involved. And they all show up and they don't know what's going on. And the mansion turns out to be haunted. Uh, and gradually 
people start disappearing or, or getting away from there. And eventually, uh, what is revealed is that the message was sent by Sheila Terry's father, who everybody thought was dead. And he did it as a way of trying to bring out the people who tried to kill him and were trying to steal his fortune. And then in the end, Sheila Terry gets the fortune, but only because Duke the Wonder Horse saves him. <laughs> You know, uh, I think I've seen that movie like five times, but uh, it wasn't that big, but it's always called something differently. Uh, wasn't uh, the movie The Ten Little Indians about people being brought to a mansion in the middle of a storm in the middle of the night and then they begin dying off one at a time? Yeah, the plot's been reused since. Yeah, I guess uh, when you find a good plot, you just uh, continue with it. Um what about the third movie uh, Sheila Terry starred in with Wayne? Did you see that as well? Which parts of it were so particularly bad that maybe we want, want to know more about? You know, the title is slipping my uh, mind right now. I apologize. Uh, but it was the worst of the three. Oh, good. Uh, and uh, it, um, it uh, was kind of a, a nonsense title that simply basically gave them an excuse to have some shooting and fighting and so forth for an hour. Um, and Wayne is not much better. The only improvement that you see, um, it was done bef uh, after Neath Arizona Skies, I believe. But the only improvement you see is that he's getting better at faking fighting. Uh, he was working with uh, Yakima Knut, who was the uh, movie's first great man, and they were working out and choreographing ways to uh, make fights seem more realistic. Uh, back in the 1920s and early 30s, the fights were mostly two guys grabbing onto each other and pushing and shoving. And uh, they worked out the idea of swinging and missing the person's face, but with the person jerking their head back as if they had been hit. Uh, and that's starting to uh, become more useful to them uh, in that third movie. Uh, and that's the only major development in acting. He still hadn't met the people that he needed to to develop the persona um, that would later be John Wayne. Which movie director uh, most influenced John Wayne's life? Uh, Howard Hawks and uh, John Ford. Uh, and uh, he got to work with uh, uh, with Ford, obviously, in Stagecoach. Uh, and that um, was the one of his breakthrough that came in 1939 at the, the end of the really bad B-movie period. And uh, he became a star after that. Uh, Howard Hawks is the one who worked with him in Red River and um, uh, Rio Bravo. Uh, and uh, they worked very well together. Um, Ford is probably better known as the person who was uh, had an influence on him and possibly may have. But Howard Hawks, uh, as a director, wanted the audience to see the movie uh, as if they were watching it uh, in person. 
So Howard Hawks film shots always replicated uh, basically eye level. He didn't use many panoramic shots, didn't use many pedestal shots from above. And the only time he used a tilt shot was when he was wanted the actor to either look up or look down. And he'd do a tilt up or a tilt down in that instance uh, to see what was going on. Uh, and uh, Ford had a major impact, but I think Hawk's impact on Wayne was underrated. Um, he was, Wayne was always intimidated by John Ford um, right up until you know, the end of Ford's life. Um, but he wasn't intimidated by Hawks. And I think he gave, in some cases, better performances from Hawks. Fascinating. And of course, with Sheila Terry, uh, all those you need were in those three films with John Wayne. He went on to, of course, have a, a spectacular movie career. I think she was in another, oh, um, 30 or 40 films. Uh, and, you know, normally during that kind of career, you would be remembered. Um, well, Wayne, yeah, Wayne frequently made uh, seven or eight a year. One time up to 10. Well, Professor Powell, uh, I have to tell you, I, I found this to be a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, I, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to review Sheila Terry a little bit. Uh, she should be remembered. And also uh, the information about John Wayne's career is just fantastic. So uh, what we're going to do, we're going to say goodbye to you. But for the listening audience, I want them to hang in there for another minute as they uh, follow, following your departure. We're going to listen to about a one minute audio clip of Sheila Terry, John Wayne, appearing in the movie Neath the Arizona Sky. My pleasure. So you can see for yourself there's nothing else for me to do but turn you over to the sheriff. Seriously, ma'am, you've got the wrong man. Why are you wearing the checkered shirt and the black hat? Not to mention the gunny sack. Well, if I knew who these belong to, I'd know who robbed the express office. You mean they don't belong to you? That's what I mean. You expect me to believe that? I hope you will. And if I did, what would you do? Well, first I'd see that my little partner was safe, and then I'd find the man that belongs to this shirt. You wouldn't run away? Do you think I would? No, I don't think so. Where'd you send your little partner? To Bud Moore's ranch down River Valley. Bud Moore? Yes, I used to ride herd with him in the panhandle. Do you know him? Oh, yes, he's my brother. That is, he was my brother. I don't quite get you. Bud dead. Oh. He was killed in a range war last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, this is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you, in order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, simply go to the subscribe page on our website, located at www.michaeltkeen.com, and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members, for book inquiries, voiceovers, 
website, or graphics design, use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island. (music) 